Everybody, welcome to another episode of Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Shunblood. And I'm Ryan Ham. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the Teen Titans. Uh, we planned this a while ago, and then they dropped a trailer for the new Titans show. So that was just serendipitous on our part. And we couldn't have even anticipated the amount of chatter that the new trailer for the new live action show caused. Um, in the discussion of that trailer, there may be some adult language that we discuss. I hope this doesn't offend any of our more sensitive listeners, but in order for us to have the sort of substantive co- conversation about this show that you've come to expect from Cape Town, your favorite superhero podcast about superhero things, we're going to have to get a little PG-13. And well, I, I, I didn't even include this with you guys. I don't know. Are you okay with that? Are your parents listening? <laughs> I, uh, I really, I actually really hope my parents haven't had to suffer through the Titans trailer. <laughs> 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 they may have only watched it because like because I posted I don't know I hope that nobody said oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit I hope that no more people had to suffer through that trailer than already did um, we will get to a long conversation about that trailer but first before we get into that um, uh, I should say Hannah Mazel uh, wanted to be here but once again her parenting duties took her away from us so she will hopefully be back next week uh, or in two weeks from now for our next episode. Uh, Chris just got back. You just like ran all the way back from Asheville where you were on vacation with your wife, Chris. Yeah, it was four hours straight marathon, ran it back. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was it was like probably one of our first times, like even my last vacation, I actually ended up having to still work for like an entire week. So it was one of the first times like I've been able to really unplug. Uh, so yeah, it was. it's just good. I'm feeling relaxed and like... I'm feeling good, ready to like finish the Americans, which Elise and I have just been binging our way through. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm feeling good. I'm ready for this. Do you ever get stressed when you don't have to work? Like I'm, I've, I'm realizing it's a problem because I can't really do it. Like even like because I just got I was in I was on a vacation too last week and I didn't have to work, but it felt it like gave me anxiety. Like well, surely I do have to do something. Yeah, I think my biggest thing is just wanting like making sure like even if. I'm not working. I'll still go through and make sure my inbox is like fully clear. Yeah. Um, like I'll, I'll go through it at the end of the day and just make sure like, even if something I need to like be on is just like no longer unread in my inbox. Like that's, that's all I really need, like to feel really at ease. Other than that, I feel like I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty good about disconnecting. So yeah, it doesn't bother me too much. I just like, I know like if I come back, I know like the stress of me going back to the office and having a ton of emails uh, is worse than me just like taking a few minutes at the end of the day just to like cipher through everything. It's, we're products of our society. We can't shut it off. Welcome to Cape Town, the premier place for workplace tip. <laughs> All right. Well, we could save. We'll give you some more workplace tips at the after the in our post credit scene to this podcast. There was actually there's a ton of news this week. Um, we'll try to limit it to like the biggest news because San Diego Comic-Con was last weekend. There's a lot of Comic-Cons all over the country, but the San Diego one is the premier one where uh, Marvel, DC, and other, uh, really other comic book companies and any sort of nerd, vaguely nerdy thing like Harry Potter will, uh, will save their big reveals for the San Diego Comic-Con. There were a bunch of big trailers and big announcements that came out this week. Probably the one that had the most hype 
I think was the Aquaman trailer going into it. I think people were, this was going to be the first look at James Wan, James Wan's Aquaman trailer. And it was pretty well received by most of the internet for reasons that I can't quite figure out. Cause I thought it was kind of mediocre. I think like the most exciting thing I got from it was that the title card for it was all white. Like beyond that, like I just like cannot understand uh, how this like how a movie that should be like pretty formulaic at this point uh, can rely on like cheesy one liners. Uh, there's a scene from the trailer where uh, Jason Momoa like even bursts through a submarine and says uh, permission to come aboard yeah. <laughs> and like and, and he smirks in the camera. And it just like it makes you feel like you're watching something that was filmed 15 years ago. And it's it's kind of hard to believe that it was, you know, it's something that's super recent. Um, and like, even with, I didn't have like too much of a problem with a lot of the special effects, you know, with a trailer this early, just because like, I think we've all learned that, uh, there's a lot still to be done on the back end with, uh, and so much can change, like as far as how polished it will look, but even that, like, it just felt like a, it was, it's very CGI heavy and a lot of the stuff in the trailer felt unfinished. Um, yeah, totally agree. Like for me, the highlight was definitely the quick shot of Black Manta we got. Um, Black Manta looks awesome, actually. That was, yeah, that was sick. Awesome. So I hope that there's more of that and less of the less of the CGI, which like kind of had a vibe of like sci-fi movie or like sci-fi TV channel movie. I think like I I also think that. Uh, the internet may have been kinder to it because it had seen the Titans trailer already. And that pretty much like made comparatively like a, yeah, like a gold medal in comparison. I'm trying to say the Titans trailer for a little bit because we're talking about teen Titans for the entire episode, but it hangs like a cloud over this entire conversation. It's hard to avoid. Yeah. I thought it looked like Aquaman looked all right. I, I like, like Chris said, I mean, I think it really depends on what the finished product looks like. I thought some of the CGI looked a little rough. Um, some of the script felt a little off, but also, you know, James Wan cut his teeth on some of the Fast and the Furious movies. And if those uh, if those don't have, you know, those don't exactly have the greatest scripts either. But Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel can really sell a cheesy line like Permission to Come Aboard. And I don't know that Jason Momoa is quite ready for the big leagues of cheesy, bad, like 80s inspired action movie dialogue yet. It just, or maybe the movie just was trying to work in a Fast and the Furious vibe, but wasn't quite working there for me yet or some reason. I don't know. A lot of people, I should say, a lot of people who I whose opinions I like did seem to really dig the trailer. But it seems like we're all a little bit on the same page of being kind of... I've, I've wanted this to be good because I really... I, I, I root for these movies and this just wasn't quite the trailer that I wanted out of Aquaman. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that does definitely like give me legitimate pause is they seem to be really playing up the... Like his half brother or stepbrother or full brother i couldn't quite tell um being kind of the main antagonist and i don't know so we'll, we'll see it just it kind of depends i saw someone i saw someone tweet and i apologize for not writing down the name of the person who uh posted this but basically like saying comparing him talking to the shark to harry oh. potter speaking a partial tongue at the <laughs> how zoo could um, <laughs> how could you not and that's it was like, so it was yeah. so obviously it was the first thing I thought of. Somebody, uh, I do. It was Glenn Weldon at NPR who called it dorsal tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And uh, that, that's a tough one to get around. Even I kind of liked it, 
Um, but it did feel like a pretty clear ripoff of Harry Potter at that point. Yeah, and the shark looked really bad. So that was the worst like special kind of... effect. Like, the shark looked bad. Um, but best of luck to it. I hope it's good. We've got we've got like you know there's a the cast is is solid. I'm not totally sold on Momoa, but but the rest of the cast is really solid. And I was pretty into under the sea battles with giant ocean creatures. Like I could watch that for an hour and a half, no problem. So I, I, I'm not I'm not off of it yet. It was not the worst trailer that we saw at a Comic Con by a long shot. I do feel like they are they did try to go to a, a light. Oh no, they're trying to take a lighter angle. Yeah, this, it's right? true. Like. Even from the like, even from the coloring of the movie, they like everything is bright. Even Mara, Mara, I think is how you pronounce it. Oh. Like even her hair is just like this bright orange. They they didn't dull down or like make it this like moody film. So hopefully there is like hopefully it is trying to set a tone for you know whatever DC is trying to do with the future of their movies. But uh, but yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I'll end up seeing it like after peak pricing on movie pass dies down after four weeks and then uh, we'll be good. So it definitely wasn't the worst trailer that we saw coming out of Comic-Con, but maybe the best trailer that we saw coming out of Comic-Con was against all odds, the Shazam trailer starring Zachary Levi as Shazam, otherwise known as sometimes known as Captain Marvel. I expected nothing out of that trailer. I had very low hopes for this movie, although some of their early marketing didn't look too bad. The trailer rules. Yeah, yeah. although the best trailer to come out of Comic-Con was the Godzilla okay. 2 trailer. We're, we're limiting it, so we're, we're staying on brand. We're <laughs> staying on brand here. We have a brand. Godzilla <laughs> doesn't have a cape. We don't talk about Godzilla. Yeah, but yeah, of the superhero movies, uh, Shazam looked awesome. Um like I don't know a ton about the character, but I'm like super excited to see the movie. Um, it looks like this was the weird thing about seeing because Shazam and Aquaman both came out of the yeah. same panel, and I think the weird thing about seeing them so closely juxtaposed together is the humor in Aquaman looked like it was created in a lab that they were constantly audience testing feedback on. Like, how did this one liner do? Um, whereas in Shazam, it felt like it was part of the DNA of the movie, um, from day one. Like it felt like, it felt like the humor in Guardians of the Galaxy or in Ant-Man where it's like such a key part of the entire process from like the beginning stages. Um, as opposed to kind of, you know, as opposed to where Aquaman, I think the part that I was wrestling or like the part that kind of hit me the wrong way was it felt much more like it was an intended response to audience feedback on the previous DC movies, which was the same of kind of the, you know, the quote unquote humor in suicide squad or in uh, justice league where it seemed like those, you know, those one liners or ad libs were clearly put in there to protect against accusations of being too dark and gritty. Um, whereas like Shazam just felt like this breath of fresh air that could have, you know, that came out of nowhere and seems like this really, like amazing expression of what makes comics so fun and um, what makes that character so fun. And yeah, I'm super excited to see it after seeing that trailer. I think that's the difference of having a comedic actor in these kind of roles that like, you want to sell these, like you want to sell these one-liners, like even like going back to guardians, you have Chris Pratt and company like with Ant-Man, you have Paul Rudd, like these really good comedic actors. And then you have Zachary Levi who like, I think everybody knows this is charming, like witty character from Chuck. Uh, and and he kind of like, so you kind of already have this like preconceived idea of like who he is and like a warmth to him. And so when he is like playing this childish figure who gets superpowers, like 
you get to have a fun alongside him. Um, Whereas like, I think you're right. Like it does like the Aquaman, the Aquaman script just like already feels like it was just produced, like and tested and produced and tested over and over and over again. These movies, none of these superhero movies with the exception of something like maybe Suicide, maybe Suicide Squad have ever really excluded kids from the lineup. But this one feels like it is made with kids very much as being part of its target, which is sort of rare because these movies, they cast a wide net. They have to, they have to, you have to make a lot of money for one of these movies to succeed because they get a lot of money dumped into them. And for this one, they just come out of the gates being so clearly orchestrated towards capturing the childhood um, delight of what it would be like to actually be a superhero and leaning into that wish fulfillment that little kids have it's not a given. And these movies, other than like maybe Lego Batman or something, haven't really done that. And so embracing that and really going for that, that's not a given, uh, especially for DC, which is more than any of these movies really leaned towards much more grown up, somber, stupid <laughs> fare. <laughs> they made a U-turn in a way that feels like you hinted at, Ryan, uh, actually thinking ahead of themselves, like trying to blaze a fresh path instead of just being reactionary and trying to kind of copy what Marvel does, but make it a little bit edgier or something. Um, it, it's really exciting. I, I'm, I'm against all odds, very surprised for this Shazam movie in 2018. It's going to be a little bit confusing. I don't know how much they're going to do it. Shazam was originally known as Captain Marvel in the comics. That was his first name. Uh, that movie's going to be coming out in April of next year. In March of next year, Captain Marvel, the actual movie, is coming out from Marvel Studios, and that is a very complicated story that you would think that we would cover in this podcast, but honestly, I'm not even sure that we can't. It's a really twisted tale. If you want to look into it, or maybe just go to Wikipedia. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I was about to say, I think you just confused everybody. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut that one out. No, we're leaving it confused. in. I don't care. Guys, this, this podcast pedals fast. You'll have to try to keep up with it. I will say that uh, a little star-studded moment for me, Zachary Levi and I once sat at a breakfast table in all of LA together. Yeah, I know. I know. It was like, it was 10 years ago. So it was like at the height of his Chuck, I think Chuck fame. I think he had just wrapped up season two uh and i was at breakfast uh with a few friends and little did i know that zachary levi was actually going to be joining us and so i had to like full-on just act cool give a head nod and that's kind of like the extent of my interaction like there's no like real f- deep dive into a friendship here but th- i've always like held on to that as like my white like, one glimpse of like hollywood lifestyle <laughs> and that was <laughs> They eat breakfast. Stars are just like. What did he order? Do you remember what his breakfast was? Did he get like a normal breakfast? No, I just remember mine. It was banana pancakes. <laughs> I held on to it forever. There was some non movie and TV news that came out of Comic Con. Uh, DC is really they're they're just racking. DC's racking them up over uh, on their in terms of their creative team. They've announced that G. Willow Wilson, who got famous at Marvel for creating Miss Marvel, is going to be writing Wonder Woman starting in December. Uh, Grant Morrison, who's kind of a kind of this living legend at DC, he doesn't do a whole lot of work anymore, but but he's very well regarded and well loved by the comic book community. He's going to be coming back for a Green Lantern comic book. Uh, there was another one. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Can I ask why is Grant Morrison beloved? I like uh, him. I like, I'm a fan. I think. <laughs> I think Grant Morrison has some really interesting ideas, and I think he is very, very smart about comics. 
what comics has you written though that you like? Like, I like Justice League, and I lo- obviously love All Star Superman. I've talked about that at length. But like, his Batman run is terrible. Most of his X Men run is like inscrutable. Final Crisis is like the worst DC crossover. Well, no, Convergence took that. But like, Final Crisis is bad. Like. Everyone talks about like Grant Morrison is this like superstar, and I just am like I don't under I don't get it, and I'm hoping someone can explain. This it. is a really spicy take. I like it. I like the things that you said you didn't like. I think his X Men run is good. I think the artwork was really sloppy, but I think his X Men run is really good, and I like his Justice League stuff a lot. And I think his Batman ideas were really good. I think the execution, I'll agree, wasn't always there, but I think the idea, the concepts were really cool. Yeah, that's the thing. Is his ideas are always really awesome. But if you ever try, okay, have you ever tried to plow your way through fifty two? Well, no. <laughs> right, it is I'm like, not an idiot. It's just, <laughs> it is and like Batman R.I.P. is one of the worst. No, like Batman R.I.P. is like just above Nightfall. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it might be worse than Nightfall, but you know he has so he has some bad ones. Like Bob Dylan has some bad albums i don't consider i don't say bob dylan is bad because he has really good stuff too and i think all-star superman like we've talked about is one of my favorite favorite comics ever it's awesome that'll be i mean i guess you've answered your own question you like we're totally agreeing and coming to the exact opposite conclusion except for x-men i think his x-men run is really good i think he's got a few things i just don't know like i mean we're talking about like his jla run was what like 2004 yeah yeah early 2000s so it's been 15 years is what i'm saying um and that's That's like that's kind of my thing and i mean we'll see what dc lets him do but i think even even the fact that you know he worked on wonder woman earth one for years and years um and then that finally came out to like and just kind of fell flat so i guess i'm just kind of curious what they like what they're going to do with him on Green Lantern. Um, and, you know, I've always liked Green Lantern. So it'll, I'll be curious what they what they have him do. He for sure joins like, you know, a murderer's row of people. Um, I think the one you were, uh, the one we haven't talked about yet is Kelly Sue DeConnick on Aquaman. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's very, very exciting. I'm a big fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick. And, and Kelly Sue is, is, uh, has been just, just like G. Willow Wilson, has been very involved with Marvel. So DC is really swinging for Marvel's top talent. I'm really excited about the G Willow Wilson book. Like I was trying to think about it uh, when we were like, as we were like talking about this, like I don't, I can't think of a writer who's like, who's introduced a new character better than she did with Miss Marvel, like Kamala, uh, like in like the last 20 years, like there, like she just like did it so seamlessly. And it feels like Kamala's like just been, a part of the Marvel universe forever. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just really excited for her just to even have this opportunity to take on like one of DC's like huge flagship titles. And in kind of a similar boat to Grant Morrison, uh, Chris Claremont, whose name is really hallowed among X-Men fans. Cause he did a lot of the really groundwork X-Men writing back in the seventies uh, is returning to X-Men for a new series called X-Men black. That'll focus on the villains of X-Men Magneto mystique apocalypse which is exciting in the sense that it's kind of it's always cool when uh when uh, an iconic band comes out to play the hits but kind of like morrison it's been a while since claremont really hit a home run and honestly he hasn't really been in comics for quite a while either so it's interesting it'll be interesting to see if he can keep the keep the streak alive but it was a big name it's a big announcement and it's definitely cool to see him coming back to the team that he honestly made famous yeah it feels like it feels like dc used comic-con to kind of 
show people that they were swinging for the fences with kind of their marquee characters. Um, and I mean, they already had Bendis on Superman and Snyder uh, and King on Batman. It's just crazy the people they have on all their big books now. Um, they've, they've got it all started. The bench is as deep as it gets at DC right now. It's amazing. And it feels like it feels like Marvel is trying to play into nostalgia a little bit as well because they're bringing back Claremont. They've also announced that they're bringing back the Uncanny X-Men book. Um, which has been out of publication since like 2012, I think. Something like that. Um, I think since X-Men versus Avengers. And they haven't announced who's taking over Uncanny X-Men yet. Who's going to be writing that? They also announced that they're bringing back Marvel Knights, um, which hasn't been publishing anything. But that, you know, that obviously was home to some of the biggest. Black Panther, Daredevil, Jessica Jones. Yeah. And like some of the, you know, some of the biggest names in comics kind of cut their teeth there um, and then went on to write in more mainstream places. But I think, I just think it's interesting that they're, you know, they're kind of looking backwards and not in like a negative way, but um, just kind of looking to this stuff that has always defined them as a company over the last 20 years or not always, but the last, you know, two, three decades um, has kind of been their bread and butter and then kind of bringing those things back. And, um, you know, and I mean, these cycles happen um, with, you know, in terms of, who is writing in which place. And I think the exciting thing then is um, usually when one company has, and this happened on the DC side um, when Marvel had all these heavy hitters, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, DC could start developing some of their younger writers. And then um, those people rise up to take over some of the stuff. And I think that, you know, hopefully that will be the case with, with Marvel is that, you know, now that maybe some of the writers that, they've been used to having exclusives with will be able to spread their wings a little bit and start taking some chances and make some cool stuff. I'm kind of excited for the Marvel Knights return, especially since Don Cates is going to be the one who's in charge of it. And I really liked a lot of his work. He's a, a really good writer that Marvel has working for him right now doing, he's working on Inhumans. He's working on their new cosmic ghost writer series. He's, he's a really talented writer. It'll be cool to see that. That was a, a, series that I really liked a lot when I was in high school. I think it probably was when Marvel Knights was at maybe junior high. I don't know. It's been a while since Marvel Knights was around. Do want to turn our attention really quickly to some news from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, this is a sort of a, a complicated issue, and we'll try to talk about it with as much sensitivity and, and nuance as we can. I'm sure most people who listen to this are aware of what happened with James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, last week. The bullet points to the story, and I, and I do think it's important to get all, the, all of the nuances here correct, is that um, about six or seven years ago, when Gunn was hired to work on Guardians of the Galaxy by Marvel, some old tweets of his were unearthed that were jokes that were uh, extremely unseemly about some uh, very inappropriate subject matter, and there is, there's no excuse for any of them. They're very bad. He, at the time, apologized for those tweets and uh, um, said he'd moved on and wasn't that type of person anymore. And for the last few years, it's all been considered sort of water under the bridge. But over but last week, uh, some members of the alt-right, led by Mike Cernovich, started a campaign to get him fired when they brought these tweets up again, old screenshots of them up again and started asking Marvel how they, they could be employing a guy who had told jokes like this and Disney caved and they fired James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy from any future work on Marvel. Uh, and Gunn has responded with a comment saying he understands the decision. The cast members of Guardians have all responded with sort of various uh, affirmations of 
of either understanding or solidarity. Uh, um, and, and some people have, have also expressed some anger and frustration with it. Um, this is obviously uh, a, a sensitive issue and it's brought out a lot of think pieces, a lot of takes from the right and the left about whether or not this was the right move and did James Gunn deserve another chance? And because he had apologized, does that change things? Obviously, there's a lot of comparisons to what happened with people like Roseanne, Samantha B. a couple months ago. It's a complicated one. It's a tough issue. I'm curious. We haven't really talked about it together as a as a as friends or as a podcast, but I'm curious about you guys' take on it. Like, it's hard because you know, obviously, like multiple things you can kind of hold in your hands, but like, and having them all simultaneously be true, which I think the internet is not built to do, because um, I think. You know, it's pretty clear that James Gunn's tweets were like gross and stupid and bad jokes and bad taste, um, which I think, you know, is nothing that he hasn't said. I wish I could remember who said this, like, and someone said this, and I think this is where I come down is like the tweets themselves are fireable offenses for sure. Um, But the fact that they had hired James Gunn repeatedly, despite the tweets being out there and like having been in the public eye for, you know, five, six years makes the fact that he was actually fired over them super weird because like he'd been not fired over them for, you know, five years. I also think it's tough knowing, you know, if if he wanted to fire James Gunn for being gross, he came from uh, trauma, which if you don't know is like, this sort of super low budget uh, film studio from New Jersey who kind of cut their teeth on these like really gross out exploitation films that deal in like heavy gore and tons of, you know, hypersexual situations, which like, you know, some people really love. It's like kind of this intentionally trash grindhouse uh, cinema style, but that's like where he, like that's where he came from. So like, if you want to prove your point that James Gunn has a like kind of gross sense of humor, like you just have to watch some trauma movies and even even some of his movie, like Slither has it a little bit and then super has it a lot. It has some stuff that people have kind of raised their eyebrows at and, you know, really criticized over the years. So I think the thing that people are reacting to is less the idea that these tweets are good or their free speech should be protected at all costs because like, Clearly, if you tweet, you know, gross jokes like he did, then you should have to suffer some kind of consequences because those are gross things to say or think or believe. Um, But I think the tricky thing is that like that, like you said, Tyler, that had been seemingly been addressed. I would assume that during the hiring process, like Disney would have done their due diligence and like clicked load more tweets on his Twitter. (laughs) Um, So it just seems gross that like this disgusting uh mike cernovich uh who is like a hack at best and at worst is kind of you know this low-level internet scumbag who advances conspiracy theories on a whim and sets his hordes of inexplicable followers after people uh got disney to do something because he yelled enough and like that just seems gross so it's just like a, it's a gross situation all around. Um, like I said, um, and I wish I could remember who said this because I would give them credit. Um, it might have been the Polygon entertainment writer, but it was basically like, I think the idea that these tweets are fireable offenses is right, but it seems stupid that he was fired now for them. And I think that is a, it, there's a, there's a case to be made maybe that this was the right move. 
at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. You could argue that perhaps these were things, that, these meant that he should have never been hired in the first place because they, they are, I, I know we're kind of dancing around what the content was. Um, if you want to go look them up on the internet, you're welcome to, but, but they, they were very bad. They're, they're, they're very offensive and, and they're inexcusable. And I'm really glad that he has, by just about all accounts, both from himself, from people close to him, including, of course, his brother, Sean Gunn, who uh, has been very involved in the Guardians movies, has appeared in them, uh, has grown a lot as a person and no longer sees himself as, a, as an edgy provocateur, thank God, but as a creative individual. And I would say his work speaks to that. And certainly the output that we've seen publicly since he got hired by Disney speaks to that as well. And I think that Disney taking these complaints from Cernovich and the the people that he garnered to his side in good faith is a mistake. As we keep saying, and, and I do want to reiterate this, this is a complicated issue and it does require nuance, but nuance is, is just not something that major corporations are really capable of. That's not what they're designed to do, to handle things with nuance and analyzing all possible angles. Uh, that's something that people are designed to do. And humans can forgive. Humans can can think about things. Humans can try to figure out whether or not somebody's grown and changed. But a company the size of Disney isn't, isn't really designed for that. And the internet is certainly not designed for that. So maybe just given the, maybe the campaign sort of made what happened to James Gunn now inevitable in some ways. But I'm, I'm not convinced that it was. I'm personally not convinced that it was the complete right move. Chris, do you have any take on it? Yeah, I don't think I have like much to add. I think you guys both spoke really well to it. I mean, the, I think the timing of it all is, you know, it's suspicious. And he should, like, if they really, like you said, if they really had a problem with it, he should never have been brought on in the first place. Like, the fact that, like, this is another circumstance of the loudest voice getting what they want, you know, really bums me out. Um, but it doesn't take away from, like, like what even when I read the tweets, I was just like, like I, I don't there's never been a time in my life where I've really identified with that kind of humor. And so I was just kind of like I was more annoyed with it than anything. It just felt like stupid locker room talk. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the one thing that I'd be wondering is just like what the atmosphere was like at Comic-Con this weekend. Like because like you like this is like some of the bigger news to like come out over the weekend, you know, missed all this like really cool stuff that, uh, you know, companies in marvel dc everybody was like giving out and like this like this breaks and like that is the like that is the hub of like all like comic news and so it would have been interesting to actually like like be around and like hear like hear all the conversations and like uh see what was actually like what it was actually like there um i I don't think i have much more to add it's kind of disheartening all around i think and I understand that some people feel like this was the right move. Um, people who who found the what he said, what he tweeted about, to be much more offensive than than maybe we do. And I hope that's not the case. I hope we're not, we don't sound like we're trivializing what he said because I, I I don't want that to be the takeaway from here is that we felt like it's not that big of a deal because um, I do think it's a big deal. I think it's important, but I think that there is uh, at some point we need to learn what it means when somebody does move on. Uh, and does try to change what they're doing, which is what, in this case, what Gunn seems to have done, versus a case like what happened a few months ago with Roseanne Barr, where what happened, the racist uh, epithet that she tweeted, was fresh. It, it came out of nowhere, and it, it demanded an immediate response instead of a, a delayed one. And I think that is an, 
again, that's an important nuance, but it's not necessarily a nuance a company as big as Disney is capable of taking into account, even if they should or, or it'd be better for them to, to do so. So I, I could see both sides, and, and I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. Personally, uh, it'll be interesting to see what Disney does from here on out, how they're going to replace Gun, what the future is for Guardians 3. Uh, but those are all sort of tangential matters to the issue itself, and, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to think about it and obviously would welcome any feedback that anybody else has about our takes personally here. We definitely miss Hannah's wise voice on something like this, too, because she's got a lot of nuance as well. I will say one thing I don't want to be lost in the nuance is that Mike Cernovich is a troll and should be kicked off Twitter. <laughs> Just so yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like there's no two things that I think we can definitely say are true. James Gunn shouldn't have done what he did. Mike Cernovich is, is a, not a good person and is trying to do this as a not because he cares, but but he's doing this in very bad faith. And that doesn't make what James Gunn said or did, and he doesn't make it okay. But it makes it makes catering to Cernovich it it muddies the message of what Disney is trying to say at bare minimum, and that really that's really really unfortunate because Mike Cernovich sucks. He's <laughs> just a bad person, and we should we're going to get off that topic because I don't want to talk about it. this stuff. Is supposed to be fun. Speaking of fun, <laughs> the Titans trailer came out last week. <laughs> well, I was going to say speaking of things that suck. <laughs> So the Titans trailer. We've been hearing about this for a while. Teen Titans is a very has had a few successful uh, animated shows. We knew that DC was going to be launching a new live action television show that was going to be on their new streaming service, which is going to be launching later this year. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And it was going to be starring. It was going to have Robin in. It was going to have the classic Titans lineup. And then the trailer dropped. And I thought, it's a joke. That's not the Titans trailer. Like, obviously, this is a prank. Because it, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That's like the worst trailer for a TV show I've probably ever seen. Yeah, it reminds me of like, actually, it reminds me of, uh, do you remember when they had that like Bionic Woman show? <laughs> or even yeah. the, um, what was that What was that show where there was like a backdoor pilot and it had Adrian Palak? Oh, it was he, Wonder Woman. Yeah, it reminded me of the Wonder Woman show that got canceled. Uh, like it's and its overall quality uh, that never got picked up by pilot. And like that's what it felt like to me. Is it felt like a clip for a show that shouldn't have had, like that maybe should have gotten a pilot ordered. Um, but then like the network realized its mistake and it canceled before it ever got to upfronts. And then like maybe the pilot leaks and everyone's like, Oh, good call. Not picking it up. Like that's what the trailer reminded me of. So if you didn't see it, it is a, a comically dark, violent, angsty show starring Robin, our boy, um, who like straight up murders this gang of muggers, like in, in extremely violent fashion, they ask him where Batman is. And then he says, the lion heard around the internet. He says, fuck Batman. And he says it in a way that just made it sound, it sounded like a child. Like this sounded like it was written by some angry kid in his, like, in his bedroom, like me when I was 15, maybe. And I was trying to be edgy. It was like hot topic just meets total garbage. And then it actually didn't get any better from there. Like the CGI didn't look good. It continued to be like very bloody and very violent throughout with lots of shots of people just looking angry, like they have migraines. And that's going to be your Teen Titans show for coming later this year, 2018. 
Chris, you you sent us a picture of you describing it to your wife while you were in <laughs> while you were in Asheville, and she laughed at it hard enough that you had time to whip out your camera and take a picture of her. <laughs> yeah, like actual tears forming in her eyes, like laugh cry. I mean, like if she gets into like she'll she'll get on board with this stuff with me, and so like we, but like actually like sharing this, she was like, "Do I need to watch this?" And I just kind of like went over the trailer with her and all I got to was the F Batman line. And, uh, I don't cuss. I'm like kind of a little PG here. So, that's good. Uh, that's good. Unlike my good friend, Tyler, we'll, we'll, bleep, we'll uh, bleep it out. We can, we'll take that out and post something that Titan should have done as well. Yeah. Right. It's it, but the whole, the, it's just so dark. Like it's not even just like script dark. The whole like trailer is just, dark like you can hardly tell what's going on the fight scenes it's just like it's leaning back everything the aquaman trailer was of like this bright like not taking itself too seriously like lightness the titans trailer just like went the complete other way with it and the worst was like the then you know dc unlimited which i think we didn't really talk about but like could be this really cool service with comics and a lot of the streaming a lot of like the dc media like the animated series and stuff will be streaming there um but like dc kept like tweeting these react like these fan reactions from comic-con and all these people are just like you know they i remember they had this one guy and i don't want to like drag this guy too hard but like you know he's like i'm just so glad that there's finally like an adult like a comic book show for adults and i was like this is awful though (laughs) this is like this is like an adult as a child imagines an adult to be where it's just like yeah let's like kill people and swear awkwardly (laughs) (laughs) and i think it's especially interesting because i haven't actually seen a lot of the teen titans go series which is very popular right now. Forget Ryan, you've watched a little bit of it with your kids, right? Yeah, and that's the crazy thing is like uh, Teen Titans Go is great and super funny. It has a ton of in-jokes for comic fans. And like it taps into this like madcap humor that's like, you know, I, I hate to sound like, you know, I'm pushing on my glasses here, but it, you know, it has this like very meta commentary on like superhero genres. and But it's like very funny. It has... like clearly a lot of love for the source material and a lot of love for the comic books. And it was just weird to see that, like all of that spirit and excitement just like completely blood dry. So Robin could be like grumpy about Batman and also like not to put too fine a point by it, but like it also appeared from the trailer that Dick Grayson has some sort of like, horror themed circus tent that yeah. he requires potential partners to go through <laughs> What's um, that? because it appears he has his own bat cave which is actually like a circus tent um yeah that says the flying graysons everywhere and it's super creepy <laughs> and i laughed at this i don't know if anybody else laughed at this i think it maybe this does appear in the comics here and there but instead of batterings he has little r's like sharp r's that he throws that are like ninja yeah. throwing stars but i don't know why a little r strikes me as so much more funny than a little bat, but it made me laugh out loud, like R for Robin. That's my name. <laughs> well, it would be like if Batman's batterings were bees instead. Yeah. And yeah, like the, those are in the comics, but like there's a reason that some stuff doesn't make it from the page to the screen. Like it just looks dumb. Like, and, and his costume looks like it reminded me closest of Chris O'Donnell's Robin costume from the, uh, from Batman forever and uh, Batman and Robin. It's just like, I don't know what they're thinking, Um, especially it's super weird because like 
you know, the DC movies are clearly like painfully trying to demonstrate that they're not serious and gritty and dark. Um, and meanwhile, this one is just like, what if we did that but worse? <laughs> <laughs> um, Teen Titans Go. There, there's a Teen Titans Go movie that's coming out uh, this weekend. And uh, it's getting really good advanced reviews. I'm, I'm looking forward to catching it at some point in the future. People seem to be liking it a lot with a lot of meta jokes and a really strong voice cast behind it. And I think it's interesting um, that this kind of represents, honestly, both of these shows, uh, both in their, their darkness and also their goofiness, kind of represent the long arc of Teen Titans, the comic book, which is what we're going to get into in the script. In 1922, a young German psychiatrist born Friedrich Wertheimer accepted an invitation to immigrate to the U.S. for a position at John Hopkins Hospital in Maryland. He flourished in America, dazzling his colleagues with his intellect and persuasive demeanor. He was well-educated, having studied at King's College in London and studied under Sigmund Freud. He had a knack for making a compelling argument, even if his arguments weren't always popular. He was a lifelong champion for racial desegregation, and his research was even cited in Brown versus the Board of Education. In the 40s, he started a low-cost psychiatric clinic in Harlem, particularly for black teenage patients. Unfortunately, that's not what he'd really be remembered for. Wertheimer, who changed his name to Frederick Wortham, was greatly distressed by what he perceived as the freefall of America's moral conscious, particularly among children. He saw a rising tolerance for sex and violence among children, and he believed he'd found the cause, comic books. It was his firm belief that the surge in popularity of comics was directly causing the next generation to drift into moral decline. Superhero comics were, at the time, limited to titles like Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, but Wortham didn't care for them at all. He suspected Batman and Robin of pushing a covert gay agenda, saw a sex bondage theme in Wonder Woman and her lasso, and believed Superman was being used to help children get comfortable with fascism. He wrote about these beliefs in a book called Seduction of the Innocent, and it was an international bestseller. It even led to a series of Senate hearings in 1953 called the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, where Wortham warned all America about what could happen to teenagers who read too many comics. The comics industry blinked and created what they called a Comics Code Authority, a way to self-censor their own content. The new name of the game in superhero comics was fun. Nothing edgy, nothing controversial, just good, clean hijinks. It was to that end that DC rolled out a new title called The Teen Titans, a group of sidekicks who went on goofball adventures without their older, more serious mentors around to potentially raise questions about whether or not this was appropriate behavior for kids. There was Aquaman's sidekick, Aqualad, Wonder Woman's sidekick, Wonder Girl, The Flash's sidekick, Kid Flash, Green Arrow's sidekick, Speedy, and they were all led by the boy wonder himself, Robin, coasting off of some newfound stardom from the Batman TV show. The Teen Titans comic was nothing special at the time. It was just wholesome fun meant to prove to America that there was nothing to fear about superhero comics. No subversive messages, no sly winks about sex or violence, just kids solving crimes and stopping bad guys in colorful costumes. What could go wrong? Before anything went wrong, something went right. 
DC was the big name in superhero comics, but Marvel was a feisty new upstart, and they were starting to make DC sweat. The cultural perception was that DC and characters like Batman and Superman were stuffy do-gooder dorks, while Marvel and characters like Spider-Man and the X-Men was for the cool kids. DC was Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Marvel was the Rolling Stones and Tina Turner. In an effort to push back, DC president Jeanette Kahn headhunted some of Marvel's top creative talent. A writer with a very superhero-sounding name of Marv Wolfman, a legendary artist named George Perez, and their favorite editor, Len Wayne, were given the pick of DC titles. To just about everyone's surprise, they chose the Teen Titans. It was an unlikely pick, with such favored DC titles like Batman and the Justice League just lying there, but it made sense too. Marvel was printing money with their X-Men books, which had started off as a comic about a group of superpowered teenagers before being relaunched as a rebranded story more in line with the X-Men as we know them today, where they're more like a small squad of mercenary vigilantes. Wolfman, Perez, and Wayne were hoping they could pull a similar trick with the Titans. They started by aging Robin up a little, figuring he'd been around long enough to grow into a young man. They kept Wonder Girl and Kid Flash and added three brand new creations, a half-robot, half-human former athlete named Cyborg, a spooky spellcaster named Raven, and an extraterrestrial warrior princess named Starfire. There was also Beast Boy, a little-remembered oddball shapeshifter, radically reinvented by Wolfman and Perez. Fans were skeptical at first, but the Titans book was a huge hit, selling four times what DC's other top sellers of the day were. And no wonder. The comic looked more modern and fresh than anything else DC was printing at the time, even if the writing did occasionally veer a little into grown men trying to write like teenagers. The stories were socially conscious, dealing with things like the war in Vietnam and racism. Wolfman and Perez experimented with serialized storytelling in far more nuanced ways than almost any other superhero title was at the time. These were all undoubtedly major factors in the Teen Titans' success, but there's another element worth noting. The safe, wholesome brand of the Teen Titans was long gone, In this new era, it became routine to push the bounds of sex and violence. There was Beast Boy, whose incessant flirtations today steer uncomfortably close to sexual harassment. There was Starfire, whose costume was revealing even by the horndog standards of 80s superhero comics. And then there was the infamous Judas Contract, a terrific storyline in which the Titans suffer betrayal at the hands of one of their own, made very creepy by the inclusion of some lightly implied incest between the villainous father and his teenage turncoat daughter. If Frederick Wortham hadn't already passed away, this series probably would have sent him over the edge. These new titans were caught up in the 80s wave of teenagers being associated with angst, rebellion, and new social norms. As thoughtfully mature as the subject material could be, it came with the price of a bland vanilla edginess. Future iterations of the Teen Titans would dial things down a little, or, as the case occasionally was, escalate them. After the glory days of the 80s, the Teen Titans would lose its luster and become a bit of a sideshow novelty as Batman, Superman, and the other A-listers regained their luster, thanks to the Richard Donner and Tim Burton movies. It took television to bring the Teen Titans back to the mainstream, with a surprisingly savvy animated show starring Robin, Cyborg, Starfire, Raven, and Beast Boy, all striking an appealing balance between being fun-loving kids and being as dramatic, angsty, and extra as teenagers can be. A rebooted version of that show, called Teen Titans Go, was even more lighthearted and goofy, while still keeping a sly eye on the larger DC universe. 
And so this is where the Teen Titans find themselves, constantly swinging back and forth between being carefree and innocent and dark and moody, struggling to find some sort of balance between the demand of society and its own need to be true to itself. Too edgy to ever be accepted by adults like Wortham, but too mainstream to be considered cool. Maybe in all this roiling turmoil, Teen Titans is actually the truest version of itself. After all, nothing says teenager like not knowing quite how to fit in. Teen Titans Go currently has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's super wild. And I think that speaks to um, how successful Teen Titans can be as serving as sort of a uh, like a meta-commentary on the rest of the DC universe. Because if you lean into the ridiculous, like they've, they've got teen right in the name. This is a very, it's a silly idea. And silly can work if you just embrace the silliness of it instead of doing what the new show appears to be doing and really running away from it and trying to... You have to be a little bit in on the joke with almost any superhero property, but especially something called Teen Titans, um, which is led by a former circus boy whose, whose parents died in a trapeze accident. Like It's a ridiculous concept. And I think it's really cool how Teen Titans go and the old animated show, which was just called Teen Titans, um, both were were aware of the the funness of it and and in certain places found a way to to find some pathos in it as well ryan you did some reading of the old comic book the marv wolfman run this week uh how'd you feel about it i was gonna say that it like one of the interesting things um in marv wolfman's introduction to the first collected edition he really talks about what drew him to the teen titans and this would have been like this was back in the 80s and he talks about like his desire to write like younger people in comic form that actually talked like younger people. And you can tell that like, that's what he's trying to do. And, you know, some of it comes off in a little hackneyed now, but you know, he was writing how young people in the eighties spoke. Um, and I feel like that's what maybe that ties into the disconnect we're feeling a little bit between the live action Titans trailer that just came out versus teen Titans go, uh, teen Titans go actually reflects like how young people speak, which is like this, hyper-referential, like, super uh, comedic, like, ironic detachment that still manages to tap into kind of these deeper meanings. And, like, the Titans one is, like, the this, like, older person trying to talk about how, like, teenagers apparently, like, swear in their bedrooms about their wards <laughs> or about their guardians. Um, and so, I like, I think that that is the strength of the book. And I think something that Wolfman did pretty well. I read a fair amount of Wolfman's uh, Wolfman and and Perez was his uh, penciler who, you know, obviously did a ton of stuff, particularly uh, notable for uh, his work on wonder woman in the eighties. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job. I mean, some of the jokes don't land. Tyler and I have texted a lot about beast boy, just sort of being this like really gross character. And I mean, like, some of it is reading it in, you know, like clearly we're like in the Me Too era and thank God, like some of this stuff is getting called out more publicly now, but it's just like very jarring to read some of it, um, you know, to read stuff that was written then. Um, like there's one, you know, there's one long joke about Wonder Girl and Starfire wearing swimsuits and it just doesn't work and it feels gross and weird. But I also think he wrote Beast Boy well in that he also made it clear that Beast Boy's joking and sarcasm and uh, sort of 
hyperbolic masculinity were all basically covers for this like very sad kid uh, who was trying to deal with the fact that he didn't have a family anymore and the family he did have uh, died or like didn't care about him anymore. So I think they tied in they tied in some of those bigger themes really well. They did a really good job, I think, of making the Teen Titans stand on their own as opposed to um, in the shadows or being sidekicks of the, you know, sort of the main Justice League characters. Um, Yeah, so overall, I liked it. And I I read a little bit of Jeff John's run as well. Um, I think Wolfman and Perez is definitely the place you would want to start if you were going to start reading for the first time. I think like you touching on like the the stories being more than them just being sidekicks uh, was kind of always a hang up for me. Not I mean, more so of like me getting into the books. I just truly looked at them as like this just like cash grab into like these guys being sidekicks so they just wanted to give them like something but like i didn't realize like even with wolfman and uh and prez's run in the 80s like dc what like dc was gambling on this like the teen titans brand as a whole like these stories as like going up against marvel's uncanny x-men which was just massive at the time and sharing like sharing similar themes and so like when i like when i like as i was like researching for this episode like realizing like what teen titans actually represented for dc like like in comparison to what like something that I understood which was like what uncanny x-men represented for marvel uh it really changed my perception on teen titans and so but i just didn't get into any of the wolfman or perez run i ended up like doing a lot of the newer stuff with like benjamin percy and uh his rebirth relaunch how how was that what'd you think of it it's good i i i don't know where everybody stands on uh damian wayne but <laughs> i i really liked <laughs> oh, i like damian so damian wayne is Talia? Uh, he he's the son of he's the son of Batman and Talia Al Ghul, and he was introduced uh, a few years ago as Batman's actual son, who is currently acting as Robin, uh, as the actual Robin, and he's actually a really great character because he was raised in this uh, in this group of assassins, so he's this very, uh, in a way, at his best, I think, sort of charmingly cold blooded little kid he yeah he's super psychotic yeah he's 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 a little kid but he speaks like a like a like a warrior adult uh he finds other kids his age to be insufferably like young because he was raised by a bunch of murderers but a lot of times it's played i think when it's at its best it's sort of played for laughs a little bit uh which is something that a lot of the teen titans work has done really well with him because he clashes with the rest of the the teen Titans for all the superpowers are still teenagers. And Danny likes to think of himself as being sort of above the rest of them. Uh, I, I think he's a good character. I think he can be really fun. I think he is too. And like, and that dynamic that like wisecracking smart ass, like him thinking himself above like the other, the other uh, Titans, it was a lot of fun. And I think that this, uh, this launch with rebirth, like I didn't realize like, so when I got back into comics in 2012, Scott Lo- Lobdell's uh, Teen Titans for New 52 had already launched and it was getting like ripped apart. And I didn't like, and which I was like kind of trying to turn me away from Teen Titans when I was getting back into reading. And, uh, and I didn't realize like how much of an abomination he actually made Teen Titans as far as uh, some of the character arcs. And so, yeah, it was, it was really good just to like pick up the, like pick up a teen titans book and actually have some fun with it 
versus like what I kind of like anticipated going in, which is like I wasn't going to actually care about any of these characters. So yeah, yeah, it was it was really interesting. I, I had a lot of fun with uh, the, uh, this week's research. So I, I think we'll kind of close on this. Do you think that this show can bounce back? Like, is it to is there any version of what you saw in the trailer that could end up being kind of a good show? No, no. That's kind of like, no. I, I agree. <laughs> like, I agree. <laughs> I, I think that it's it doesn't. I don't think it's going to work. If they want to save it, they need to lean in on the strengths that the animated series, and not just the current one, but um, and I mean you know you could obviously apply this to dc like at large if they want to succeed they should just turn to their animated series um but like the like teen titans has had animated series for what like 10 years that have done super well and people really love yeah yeah Yeah. because it was interesting reading like the jeff johns run he talks about that specifically is like you know they wanted to have teen titans as a comic come out because the teen titans go tv show which like was before the current iteration um was such a phenomenon for cartoon network and like it just seems so weird that they can't figure out how to translate that into you know into live action um my suggestion which uh tyler i think your wife would also support is that they should bring uh josh schwartz of tv's the oc on board always done for a josh schwartz for an injection of josh schwartz Yeah. yeah and he can just like he can just be a showrunner it would be great uh the action might be a little cheesy but the like psychodrama behind the scenes at the teen titans tower would be awesome well marvel had a lot of success bringing in josh schwartz to handle runaways on hulu which is a which is a very good show and is really everything that teen titans should be it's it's fun it's got so it's got a lot of romantic tension plenty of teen angst and teen drama uh, but also some superheroics which is the best that's the best version of teen titans and it just surprises me that a show that has seen so much success by being funny and and sort of having a lot of meta quips in it that they would run from that so hard. Plus, like, if they want to go dark, I mean, like, the first arc of uh, Wolfman and Perez's run is, like, about fighting a massive demon who's trying to destroy Earth's entire dimension. Yeah, so it's, it exists. So it's not like they would have to, like, shoehorn that in. Um, I just think the way they're going about it being dark and gritty is, like, I think there's a mistaken mindset that in order to be adult, you necessarily have to have anti-heroes. And like, that just kind of gets old after a while. Um, sometimes it's okay for shows to have heroes. And I think that there's just this idea that dark is a virtue and is, is sort of creativity in and of itself. And I thought we'd kind of learned our lesson about that by now. Like we'd seen darkness fail enough times that we knew you needed to be more than just dark, but apparently not. Because Titans is coming everywhere to uh, to the CW in just a, a few months now. And I think that'll wrap it up for us this week. Thanks for listening, as always, to Cape Town. And uh, we uh, obviously appreciate uh, CM Studio. Uh, it's Chad Snavely over there who keeps us sounding good in these. I uh, also want to give uh, our infrequent shout out to our friend Justin Mazel, who handled all the artwork for the show. Also, our friend Ryan Ham, who did the music that you've been listening to during this episode. And we want to give our shout out to our friend, uh, Hannah Mazel. It's a lesser podcast without her. We're looking forward to having her back next time uh, when we're all back together. Uh, if you like what you heard, please go to our Apple podcast page and give us a good review uh, and subscribe. And you can also tell all of your friends about us. You can shoot, follow us on Cape Town Pod on Twitter, Cape Town Pod on Facebook as well. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to being back next week. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. 
And I'm Ryan Ham. For Hannah Mazel, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.